Okay, we'll be in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And I'll be reading verses 13 to verse 30. John chapter 13, beginning with verse 18, excuse me, verse 18. John 13, verse 18. I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit, and testified, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one to another, doubting of whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spoke. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, What thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spoke this unto him. For some of them thought, because Jesus had the bag, that Jesus... Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him by those things that we have need of for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out and it was night. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of the scripture. Pray, Lord, you will minister to us those things in the word of God by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at this passage, we see it is one of those passages which is kind of pivotal to the life and ministry of Christ. As uh, they continue in the upper room and uh, uh, that the Lord Jesus is um, having this intimate, intimate fellowship with his disciples, we find that these things transpire. The lesson of washing feet and showing the servanthood of how Jesus would have them to minister one to another being now complete as we know that uh, Jesus did gird himself with a towel and went about to wash the disciples feet and to teach them what it meant to be a servant uh, we find that the Son of God um, of course uh, means to show the disciples some very important truths concerning himself and so Jesus himself, being in the flesh, by necessity Jesus left his eternal glory and veiled his Godhead in human flesh. And that, of course that veiling of his Godhead in human flesh um, meant 
that um, he did not become any less the Son of God or any less uh, God himself. It is only that the appearance to others was that he is now human when in truth he is very God. He is man and God all at once. But yet he has these natural limitations of being human. Now, of course, we have a difficulty understanding that. How, do, how is one God and yet have the natural limitations of being human? Except that uh, we find that he was brought upon himself that uh, human limitations through the Incarnation. That is, the Spirit of God came upon Mary. She was conceived of the Holy Ghost. Jesus, being born, was born into this world as a human being. He, ha he was a baby. And we sing about that, of course, in our Christmas hymns. He was a baby in the manger, in a, in a, a crude uh, hovel of a stall. And uh, the Son of God was visited by uh, men from the East bearing gifts. And uh, he was protected of God. And uh, he finds, of course, later he, is, he grows up. Uh, we see him at about 12 years old, he's in the temple. And he's astounding the, the ministers of the Pharisees uh, with his knowledge, even at 12 years of age. He grows up with his father Joseph and, and uh, learns probably the trade of, of being a carpenter. And, and yet, yet he is the son of God. You know, when Jesus uh, uh, was tempted of the devil, you know, he, he was taken up into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. And uh, he, he was allowed to be tempted of the evil one. Uh, Jesus hungered. Jesus thirsted. Uh, Jesus felt the heat and the cold of the night. Uh, he knew what it was to experience the limitations of human flesh. And uh, so here he is uh, at this last, this last uh, Passover, if you will, um, sometimes called the Last Supper. Um, and pictures have been painted about the Last Supper. Um, but we find that Jesus, the Lamb of God, must be offered uh, for the sins of the world. John the Baptist came preaching concerning Christ. Uh, he being the very last prophet of the Old Testament that would be the forerunner of Jesus, that would usher in the kingdom of God, as it were, or at least the preaching of the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, uh, was the cry of John the Baptist. And many came unto him, of course, and, and were baptized in the river Jordan. And uh, as they were baptized, he, he asked them to, to take particular consideration that the Messiah was at hand the Christ had come they, that man needed to repent and turn from their sin because Jesus had come the Lamb of God had come into the world and of course uh, John then uh, was uh, a very favored prophet of the people and uh, even Herod feared to say too much against uh, John the Baptist for the people knew that and believed that he was a true prophet of God. 
uh, yeah, Jesus uh, here in the upper room as we consider this particular account Jesus is there with the disciples he gives them the lesson of the servanthood and now he tells them something else that is very important to um, his ministry uh, as we look at verse um, 18 we find that he says something quite amazing he says I speak not of you all I know whom I have chosen and so this afternoon we're going to be taking that subject and looking at it I know whom I have chosen um, the first uh, item I've, looked, I've put on the board here is many are called few are chosen we're going to look at that word chosen and try to understand what it means in this context and then secondly he that eats with me shall betray me uh, remember they are having a meal together um, and the, the last meal you might say the last supper as it were and we find that um, eating is a very important um, fellowship of a family eating is a very important fellowship and for the disciples to meet with Jesus and to eat with him now see that is really a privileged companionship a privileged fellowship and they are eating together and, but yet one of them who is eating with Jesus will betray him and then the third area Jesus was troubled in spirit and we'll look at that and see what um, what's the idea here about how he is troubled and why so as we consider this we realize that uh, many are called but few are chosen we find that phrase actually in a parable and uh, in the parable of the kingdom of heaven in the gospels uh, a certain marriage feast is given many are called but there were those who refused to come uh, said the parable goes on to say that though people were called to the, the marriage feast they refused to come yet others are chosen and came to the feast they went out in the highways and byways as it were they, they went and gotten they had gotten whomever they could whosoever will as you might say they went and got them and brought them to the marriage feast yet one of them come came I should say without uh, his or her wedding garment they came that person came and Jesus said why did you come without a wedding garment you know the indication is that they weren't prepared for the, for the wedding and then this, this important statement is made there many are called but few are chosen that one person who was not prepared was cast out of the wedding group they said there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth they were cast out which is uh, typical if you will of, of um, those who reject or are unprepared by faith are unprepared for eternal things unprepared and, and so we find that uh, this phrase then comes with a certain meaning to it as we recognize those who either would be prepared to to come to Christ or those who are not prepared to come to Christ those who are believing 
and are ready and those who are unbelieving and are not ready. So it has some meaning to that. Even though that is a parable, it speaks to this issue. So we want to look at this. First of all, um, that Jesus, Jesus chose all of his disciples, yet one of them was a devil. Now this is an interesting statement too, and we find that being given in John chapter 6 and verse 70. That it actually says that Jesus chose all of his disciples, but one of them was a devil. So the word chose is used there. Uh, what does it mean to be chosen of God, you see? Well, um, though we were not going into a long and extensive um, study of choosing the, cho the, the act of election with God, yet we want to look at it in regards to what Jesus is saying here. The word for chosen here is the word eklegomai. Eklegomai. The hyphen is on leg. E-K-L-E-G hyphen and then it's omai. O-M-A-I. And it, and it means to select, make choice, choose, or chosen. And so this word ekleg omai is used in three different passages and in the context then it is interpreted three different ways. First of all, the, the word is used in both places in John 6.70 and if you want to look that if you may quickly. Also it's used in John 13.18 and it's used also in Ephesians 1.4. I only chose these three selections. The question is what does Jesus mean by using the word chosen? What does he mean? Uh, Matthew Poole, I think, makes a valid argument for the difference in meaning here, and I'll, I'll give you his statement. I know whom I have chosen to the work of apostleship, so some interpret it as John 6:70. Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? So, first of all, the, some interpreters say that it is in reference to, the, to apostleship. But the generality of the best interpreters understand the choosing here mentioned of a choosing to eternal life. A perseverance in the way of God as a means in order to it, such as Ephesians 1.4, and so understood here is a greater argument in the text to prove the Godhead of Christ. So in Ephesians 1.4 it says this, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In other words, as the author of eternal election. So it could mean Jesus chose them as in apostleship. It could mean Jesus chose them as unto salvation and preservation of that salvation but there may be another aspect of it here too um, though one of you be a devil a traitor yet I have chosen the rest of you to eternal life concerning Jesus and this is no more than was prophesied of him and fulfilled in David as a type of Christ the scripture must have its accomplishment 
that scripture is now fulfilled in Christ. The same word for chosen is used of all three scripture mentioned, yet the meaning is different in the context. So either it means that he called them unto apostleship, or it means that he called them unto salvation or eternal life and preservation of that life, or it means that uh, though one of you be a devil, a traitor, yet I have chosen the rest of you unto eternal life. In other words, um, how can we use the word chosen in reference to Judas when Judas is a betrayer and Judas uh, appears to be not only just a, a disloyal person but one who is so corrupted by the influence of Satan and the infilling of him that he turns Jesus into the official officials the, the, uh, and, and the rulers uh, who would later betray him and kill him. Uh, in other words, uh, we cannot very adequately say that Judas was saved or that Judas was an apostle. We cannot say that of him in either case. But we can say that he was chosen by Christ in some sense to be a part of that group. Well, we'll come, try to come to some meaning on that a little bit clearer in a few moments. All but one of them was chosen unto eternal life. We know that for sure. Certainly the other, uh, other apostles were chosen unto eternal life. They all went on to become apostles and were used of God. And God was in them to do the work of the ministry. But Judas was not. And so Judas could very adequately be noted as an unbeliever. He did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God and Messiah. Now how can we come to that conclusion? Simply because of the, of the way he acted within his discipleship. Now remember the idea of a disciple in, in this particular period of time was that if there was a master, a teacher, then the disciple was a student of that master or teacher. And so we find that the, that the disciples were students of Jesus, and Jesus was the master teacher. Uh, he is like, he is the rabbi, he is the rabboni, as, it, as Mary called him. And so we find that, that Jesus is setting uh, with his disciples around him and they are his disciples but one of them is Judas and and so but at the same time we have this sense that Jesus called them to him see many are called but few are chosen and the word chosen is has to be interpreted within the context of the passage that is being looked at it it can't be just strictly said that it is one thing. And we'll give you some examples of that um, in a few moments. But Judas was an unbeliever. He did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God and ultimately betrayed Jesus. Uh, we, we know that to be true because if he had believed that he was the Son of God, he would never have turned him over to 
the religious rulers. He would never have accepted the payment of a slave um, if he knew that he was truly the son of God. Uh, secondly, there are many in the church who are unbelievers and therefore enemies of the gospel of Christ. Now, of course, we find this to be true, do we not? Just like this little group of men who were around Jesus, um, there, is a, there are groups of people who come together in what is called an ecclesia, the ecclesia, the church, the called out assembly. There are many who come together in that assembly of people. And, but they are, though they are all there together and, are, and are, are called to come unto that assembly, and they come unto that assembly, not all of them are believers. There are, there are some within that assembly of what we call a church who are unbelieving, not believing. There are some who are believing, there are some who are, un who are unbelieving. And so we are reminded of the parable of the wheat and the tares, and how that they grow together. Yet the harvest, in the harvest, one shall be saved, one group shall be saved, and the other group shall be burnt up in judgment. And the tares in that parable are there because the evil one has sowed the seed. The, the tares, the seed of the tares. And so what do we find? Just as we find that in that little group, that little band of people of which Jesus drew to himself as students, as disciples, as he was tr the true Messiah of God and had called them unto himself, yet there was one who was an unbeliever. Judas was an unbeliever. We, we can say that without any, any question at all. He is an unbeliever. And we can also say without any question that there are unbelievers in the church of Jesus Christ. Using that as a, in a general sense. Not, not necessarily meaning here in this place at this moment, but in the church, in the body of Christ, wherever that body may be, or collectively as a whole, the body of Christ. There are unbelievers in the body of Christ as much as there are believers. You see, there are many called, but few are chosen. There are many called, but few are chosen. You see, Jesus called each one of the disciples. Each one of his students he called. Judas was a part of them. And the only thing Judas is notable for is noted for his betrayal. That's the only thing he's noted for. He isn't noted for doing miracles. He isn't noted for, for sitting at the feet of Jesus and laying his head upon Jesus' breast as John did. He isn't noted for, for uh, going out and fishing in a boat and, and Jesus saying to that, that, those crew on that boat, cast your net on the other side and draw in a great drought of fishes. No, Judas is absent from the miracles. He's absent from those things which we see of the other disciples that show the blessing of God upon them and their desire to learn of Christ and to glorify the, the Savior. He is absent. The only thing he's noted for is betrayal. <coughs> That's why we can say that he not only is an unbeliever, but he did not recognize Jesus as the Christ, as the true Messiah of God.
Secondly, he that eats bread with me shall betray me. Judas was a, a member of the fellowship of Jesus' disciples, and he eats bread with Jesus. Um, when a family comes together, they, they, one of the things we always do when we get together as a family is eat, right? In fact, if you have somebody come to your home, that may be one of the first things you offer. Would you like to have a cup of coffee? Would you like to have some tea? Can I get you something to drink? Um, we immediately try to do something to, to feed the person who comes because they, they not only represent family, but that is a hospi- hospitable thing to do. And it's part of what uh, our custom is, that we, we eat together and fellowship together. Well, you see, um, as a family eats bread together and fellowships around the table, Yet though that fellowship with Jesus, still the heart of man is what? As Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And if we don't think that Judas is a good enough representation of that, then perhaps we should look at Peter. And, and just say that though Peter had the greatest zeal for the Lord, uh, he denied him just as quick as uh, in, that, in that opportunity when the, when the pressure was upon him. He denied the Lord three times. And if we're going to give the other disciples any credit here too, uh, we have to say they all disbanded and ran away when Jesus was at his hour of greatest need. And so in other words... Uh, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Man, man is, is, uh, is a sinner by nature. We are a sinner by nature. Uh, and so we find that this is something which is very much a part of our nature. Well, here is Judas. He's eating bread with Christ. He's eating at the same table with the Savior. And still, he is, this, he is, this, he is Judas. Uh, he, is so no, he is so notorious that the phrase Judas is carried over even in our society today to anyone who betrays or is disloyal to someone else. It is carried over in our society. Judas was masquerading as a true believer, yet in his heart lay the seed of unbelief and disloyalty to Christ. You see, many are called, but few have chosen. Judas was called. He was called unto that little band to be a student of the Messiah. He was called there. But the idea of being chosen in the, in the strictest sense, as the others were, is somehow lacking. The hymn writer wrote this, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Even the hymn writers that reflect the, the, the desperateness of the heart to, to wander away from God, uh, to abandon the, the one that they love. And so we find this is a universal um, malady, if you will, that man is like this. And so we should not wonder 
that uh, it was reflected in the disciples and in a very uh, great manner in the life of Judas. Since the word chosen is used for the other disciples as well as Judas, then Judas was responsible for his disloyalty and betrayal. Now remember, the same word is being used in three different occasions. Uh, We find that this word means every single time chosen. But in the context, it carries the weight of the interpretation. So Judas then becomes responsible for this idea of being chosen. And we find that uh, Judas doesn't live up very well to the call that he had upon his life. He does not live up to it. In Romans 5, 12 through 21, this is a kind of a lengthy passage. Um, I'll read it for you. You can turn there if you'd like, Romans 5, 12 through 21. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Of course, that one person is Adam who fell. Death passed upon all men because of Adam. Spiritual death. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. In other words, the law is the the revelator of sin to us. Uh, Without the law, we do not know that we sin. Nevertheless, death reigned by Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, that's Adam, much more the grace of God and the grace by gift, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. So we get sin through Adam. He represents us. He is the representative head of sin in our life. Jesus is the representative head of grace to us. Verse 16, And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for judgment, was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For by it by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in the life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, again, that's Adam, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Jesus Christ became obedient unto the will of the Father, and by him comes our righteousness. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Judas, 
was responsible for his own sin of betrayal. For he sat at the table of grace. And Jesus, the Son of God, served him that same love and grace as he did the other disciples. See, that is why Judas is responsible for his own sin. He sat at the table of grace. He sat at the table where the incarnate Christ, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, unto man, shined forth in the person and work of Christ. He sat right there eating bread with Jesus. And he would, would not acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. He would not believe that he was the Christ. He was responsible for his own unbelief. Just as Adam was that one who made us responsible for our sin, Jesus is, makes, us, makes us responsible for the grace that he offers. And Judas sat there and refused it. Those of the Old Testament remained in unbelief. We find this in Hebrews. He says, For unto us was, was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, meaning the Old Testament saint. This is Hebrew 4.2. That the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You see, it was even, faith was even required in the Old Testament. The Old Testament saint was required to have faith. If they did not have faith, it was their responsibility. They were responsible. They were accountable. It was their condemnation because they did not have faith. It was not anything, it was not a reflection upon God. It was a reflection upon them. Judas was the same. He had not faith in Jesus Christ. He was responsible and no one else. He was responsible. Even though this word chosen may reflect upon the other disciples as being very, especially the grace of God in them, in Judas it did not reflect the grace of God in him because he did not believe by faith that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And that is the reason why those who are among us or in churches who are unbelievers are also responsible for their own unbelief because they do not have faith. They do not have faith to believe. Though the grace of God is before them, though the grace of God is preached unto them, though the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is laid out before them in every possible manner and reflects the salvation of God, they do not believe, and they remain in their unbelief unless they turn to Christ in faith. Then, look at the last one here. Jesus was troubled in spirit. Now, I know that I've kind of run on and haven't gone back to the text, so let's go back there just for a moment in chapter 13 and verse 18, and we'll read down through this a little bit. Now, I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass ye may believe that I am. The word, the word he here is in italics. You don't have to have it there. You can just read it as I am. Of course, it's referring to God. God is the I am, right? Right. So I guess we get the point there, don't we? 
in verse 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me, and he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. What is he saying? Well, when you look at the passage, it says, He that, re- he that receiveth whomsoever I send. So, who, who is Jesus going to send? He's going to send the disciples out, the apostles. They will become apostles. He will send them out. And if people receive the apostles, if they receive the message that, that they are giving of Christ, then, they, then they will, well, the people who hear it will be receiving Christ. And that is why we are told to preach the gospel. Because we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, the next section of it. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. So, he that receives Jesus, then, the message of Jesus, he that receives Christ, he that receives the gospel, receives him that sent me. In other words, receives the Father. To believe upon Jesus is to believe and know the Father. So, he really gives a theological statement here, which is quite profound to the church of Jesus Christ and should give us every reason every reason to do the right thing as far as preaching Christ because we are ambassadors for him we are told to do this verse 21 when Jesus had thus said he was troubled in spirit and testified and said verily verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me so this is the third point uh, then right there and we'll look at that. Jesus was troubled in spirit. The time was nigh when he would suffer many things in the flesh, and Jesus' spirit was troubled. The word for troubled here is terrasso, and it simply means agitation of Christ's spirit, or agitation in the sense of one being troubled, um, Emotionally or troubled, with, even with various kinds of emotions such as anger, anything like that. It is a troubling of the spirit. Now we know in relationship to Christ, it, we probably see that certainly on a higher level than on man's level. If we become terrasso, troubled in our spirit, uh, many things can come out of it. But when it comes to Christ, of course, he is in, it's in reflection to uh, that hour that had come upon him to accomplish the Father's will. In John 11.33, we'll look at a couple of different instances of this. In John 11.33, when Jesus had raised uh, Lazarus, it says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, referring to the women, and, Je- and, Je- and Jews also weeping, uh, the mourners who came to mourn for Lazarus, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Terrasso, same word. He was troubled. This was at the tomb of Lazarus before Jesus raised him from the dead. Okay, so that's one instance of that he uses the word terrasso, and it simply means troubled, uh, agitated, and no doubt in the context, Jesus is probably quite agitated at the fact that um, though he is there and Mary, the two Marys uh, Mary and Martha rather uh, should know that uh, Jesus is truly able to do great things and raise Lazarus yet they uh, have not really caught on to the whole idea yet that Jesus was able to do that 
Um, so he was troubled in spirit. Later in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus would express his troubled spirit once again. This is John 12:27. Now is my spirit troubled. Again, the word terrasso. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Now, so he's troubled in spirit in the Garden of Gethsemane. Why? Well, remember, he's in the flesh. Remember, he's, his, body, his body is the veil uh, of, over, over his godly, uh, over his God element, if you will. The fact that he is the very son of God. Um, the flesh is, has many weaknesses. Uh, pinch yourself, if you would. Uh, tr- try to take a knife and stab at your, at, at your hand or something, and you're going to say, Ow! <laughs> If somebody says something to you that makes you upset, it will hurt you. If you go without food, you're going to hunger. If you don't have water long enough, you're going to thirst and your mouth is going to become dry and parched. Um, You name the thing and it will affect you in some way as in the the body, in the flesh. Uh, Jesus was in an agony over in his spirit. He was in an agony over, over the things that were going to come upon him. And he knew he would have to face these things. And, and uh, so this, this terrasso, this, this uh, agitation of his spirit was upon him because of his humanity. And so when our spirit is troubled, in a terrasso, if you will. When our spirit is troubled, we might call it concern, we might call it worry, we might call it anger, we might call it a number of different things, I'm upset or whatever, and uh, those emotions flood our natural spirit when we are troubled. Is there an example of this? Well, John 14:1 says, Let not your heart be troubled, terrasso, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus, of course, would comfort his disciples by saying these things. Let not your heart be troubled. And of course, we, we often read that passage, don't we? Because we, we find in it a sense of comfort to our, our spirit. So the disciples would, could be troubled. Jesus was troubled in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was troubled at the Passover because he knew there was one there who was going to set this all in motion. And that person was eating with him. Having the most intimate fellowship with him. He was eating right at the same table with him. And he was troubled. Jesus was troubled in his, in his spirit over these things. And so we find that Jesus as a human being and as the Son of God, that he came into the world to do the Father's will. Let's read just a little bit more here in this passage. Uh, in John chapter 13, looking at verse 22. Well, let's begin with 21 again. When Jesus had thus said... He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Then this is what he said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked on one another, doubting of whom he spoke. They didn't know, really, of whom he was speaking. Now there was one leaning on the bosom 
uh, G- Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. So as the common uh, way of, of uh, lounging, if you will, um, and eating was that there was a small short table perhaps in the middle of the group of people as they're in some, uh, somewhat of a circle and they are laying down on these pillow type cushions and they kind of form a circle around the table as they lay there around the table and, and here is John who d- doesn't mention himself he just kind of infers here that that he's laying in this particular manner closest to Christ and he is he is again he is eating at the table so we say Jesus is here and John is right here beside of him so close to him that he is right next to him and he's kind of leaning on Jesus a little bit maybe he's a little tired and the cushion isn't too good so he's going to lean on Jesus you know we have a song, Leaning on Jesus, Leaning on Jesus. <laughs> you probably would like that place, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to be there? And, and, and lean on Jesus a little bit? Well, see, here is, here is John. He's leaning on Jesus. So there was, and now there was, uh, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. See, John is, very humble here. He doesn't mention his name. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him. Says, John. He kind of beckons to him, making some kind of motion or other, that he should ask who it should be of whom he spoke. It's kind of like you know, you're right next to somebody who's a good, who's a right next to somebody else, and you want to find out what the, someone else is going to, is going to say, and you lean over and say, ask him. Ask him, who is it? You know, ask him. <clears throat> so Peter, Peter does that. He talks to John. He says, "Ask him. Ask Jesus. Who is it? Who is it?" <clears throat> Jesus answers, verse twenty-six. He it is to whom I shall give salt, a piece of bread which is dipped in the in the sauce, when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the salt, he gave it to Judas. Judas must have been just next to him too. Here's John, here's Jesus, and here's Judas. And so he passes the he dips it and passes it over. All of the disciples were, were eating with Jesus. <clears throat> he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon. And after the salt, after he had done this, it says Satan entered into him. It's capitalized. Satan entered into him. You know, we wonder, how could this happen? How could it happen? Remember Judas is a, he doesn't believe Jesus is the Christ. Remember Judas is, is not one of those chosen unto eternal life. He, he, because he does not believe. Because he did not have faith. He did not have faith. He did not believe. Though he had every opportunity, just like the other disciples had every opportunity, he did not have, he did not believe. Satan always looks for the opportunity. And this is not talking about somebody else, this is talking actually about Satan. 
We find Satan individually working at several different points in the Bible. You know, with Job, he works against Job. As a personality, he works against him. He takes a personal interest in Job to make his life miserable and to see what he can do to turn him against God. And, and this particular account, and there's others, such as I think one with Joshua, also was a, there was an account. We shouldn't be wondered, wondering that Satan sometimes shows up personally to do some things, to destroy people, and to, and to cause his own activity to, to uh, advance. And, he, and so Satan was using this opportunity he was using this opportunity. Remember, uh, Satan showed up personally to tempt Jesus. He showed up personally to do that. He didn't send somebody else. He came himself. So after the psalm, Satan, so influential in, in Judas's unbelief and in the wickedness of, of Judas's own heart, in the depravity of Judas's own heart, he was so influential over him. Remember, Judas had the bag. He had the money. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of it. Judas had plenty of opportunity to betray, to take up this, this gauntlet of betrayal. And he does. And so after the soft, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, What thou doest, doest quickly. You know, probably he's talking very quietly to Judas. He gives him the psalm, and then he says, What you do, do quickly. He's, he's very quietly, you know. No man at the table knew for what intent he spoke unto him. They didn't have a clue. They were all pretty much concerned about themselves for some of them thought because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him buy those things that we have need of for the feast or that he should give someone some something to the poor so people have different ideas about things don't they they always do you go around the room and ask people what what this means what that means they all have their ideas about things. Well, all of these disciples, were, they were talking amongst themselves, probably coming up with their own ideas of things. And what does Jesus mean by this? You know, John is over there whispering to Jesus, and Peter is trying to get his attention, and, and Judas is next, right next to him. And Jesus, here Jesus is taking this sop and giving it to Judas and whispering something to him. What's going on? They don't know. He then, having received the sop, went out immediately, and it was night. A lot of things happen at night, don't they? Not in the broad daylight. They happen at night. There was one who came to Jesus by night. Because he didn't want... Tell others to know that he was going to talk to Jesus. Um, Nicodemus. And here we find... You know, this little occasion, only much more sinister and certainly to a great degree, very much a, a stronger uh, disloyalty 
in every sense of the word for Judas would betray his own master Judas would betray the teacher Judas would betray the one who loved him Judas would betray the one where he sat at the table of grace with the son of God Judas would betray because he allowed Satan to have the greater control over him than the Spirit of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ which was offered just as freely unto him as it was unto the others I'd like to read a couple of scriptures as we close in Galatians 2.16 Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of, our, of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Uh, Judas could find no justification by sitting in a group of people that were more holy than he. He could only find his, his justification through Christ, and he, he did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. Galatians 3.22 But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Judas had to believe. He was not willing to believe. He had not faith. Philippians 3.9 and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through faith through the faith of, of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith only do we have righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ whether it is the Old Testament saint or whether it is the New Testament saint it all is the same in that regard it's just that the Old Testament saint was believing in God by faith even though Christ had not yet been revealed but they were believing the very word and revelation of God concerning the salvation which God offered to them Abraham is the prime example of it but others were Noah was another prime example of it and of course ultimately Job was as well any of the prophets who remain true to God believe by faith in God and for the salvation which he had to offer. Even though they did not know fully the prophecies that were given, such as in Isaiah or Jeremiah or any other of the prophets, even though they did not know fully what it meant, they believed God and they believed his word and they believed by faith and therefore the righteousness of God was by faith also in them. And when Christ came, of course, it was the full ratification of that new covenant that he would make for all who believe by faith. And that is where we are today, of course. Shall we look to the Lord by faith? Father, we do thank you for your word to us. We thank you that the righteousness of God is by faith through Jesus Christ. And we ask your blessing, Father. And as we realize that many are called, but few are chosen, that all of those who are called are responsible for that faith, to believe in the Son of God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.